The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Good morning, Refuge Church. Good morning. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Hey, I have good news for everybody when you sit down. So, uh, so when you sit down, you'll be rewarded with good news. <laughs> We've already heard the best news, so this is second. Touche. Yeah, Jesus is alive. That's the good news. That uh, <clears throat> this week. Three babies were born to the refuge family. Uh, two of them were twins, which helped with the count. We had Eliza and Abigail Biffert, born to Megan and Aaron. We have a proud grandpa here. And then we have Ellis Newman, born to Justin and Annie Newman. We, uh, we're getting, we're growing, um, and pull out those classic family recipes. We're going to have some meal trains coming your way, so get ready for that. Um, a little, uh, f- this is free for all you, you single, single bachelors, the rotisserie chicken and French bread with a pint of ice cream is also a great meal. Um, <laughs> So if you want to sign up for the meal train, but um, never learn cooking chops, the Costco rotisserie chicken. I mean, you just, can we just get an amen hallelujah to that? Yeah, <laughs> that's right. Okay. Oh, man, you can do so much with it. You really can. Okay, with that, I'm just going to praise God for um, the new additions to the family, and, uh, and then we'll dive into the Word of God together. Father, thank you so much for the gift of life. Uh, It's such an amazing, amazing uh, idea that you came up with that we could participate in this, that we could um, have this great honor and responsibility of having kids, raising kids. Uh, We pray that you will give strength and energy to these new parents Justin and Annie, to Megan and Aaron. God bless them. God, I pray that um, as they invest in their little lives from, from this moment on as their parents, that God, your grace will just flow through them to their kids. Your truth will come through them to their kids. And that we, a church family here, can uh, be a strong support we can lift up their hands, we can help when needed, we can bring good food, we can pray for them, be shoulders to cry on. God, give us the courage to be the community they need to help raise these kids. 
God, we just praise you. It's so good. Pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. <clears throat> Philippians, joy in the middle. What are you in the middle of right now? The book of Philippians was written from a prison cell. Paul's life probably looked like it had reached a dead end, but that is not how Paul sees his life. Paul is full of joy. Right in the middle of a terrible situation, Paul has a happy heart. Is it hard for you to be happy in the middle of the mess of life? Well, in this sermon series, we will learn the secret of Christian joy in the middle of whatever life throws at you. What is your life all about? If you were to say what your life is all about, what comes to mind first? What would come to the mind of somebody else who spends time with you? What your life is all about? When I asked this question to myself and talked through with Hannah, I thought of um, how every meal, I shared this with you a couple weeks ago, every meal we start with singing a song. It has been the doxology. Last month we started singing, My God is so great, so strong and so mighty. And that's what we sing before every meal. It's very exciting. Yeah, Evie's already raising her hands. She's very animated when we get to sing that. And so my, my kids hear this. My kids hear us talking about Jesus. We read Bible stories every night um, before they go to bed. And then we sing about the greatness of God. The question I asked Hannah, I actually pulled her over as I was thinking through this sermon, and I asked her this question. Do our kids know that God is great because of the way we live? Or do they just know because of what we sing? They'll know it, right? They'll be able to repeat those words. They'll sing it with excitement. But do they know the greatness of God because of the way we've lived? Our lives are all visible representations of what we believe. More so even really than our words are. No one accepts the tired old maxim, do what I say but not what I do. We are walking, talking, living examples of what we actually believe. It's convicting, huh? We are walking, talking, living examples of what we actually believe. So what does your living actually say about what you believe? I read an interesting article that shared this very sobering quote. It said this, trust in pastors fell for the third straight year, matching the decrease in church attendance during the pandemic. It has reached an all-time low of 34%. As few as one in three Americans would rate their clergy, their pastor, as being honest, having high or very high honesty. The reason for this is because there is a separation. People have seen a separation too often between the saying and the doing. I say this, it sounds great. What I see in their lives or what you know, is kind of thrown out on in the news, these scandals that happen. I wouldn't say, you know, it, it would be one thing if it was just out there. I have known pastors who have personal friends, close friends who have not acted as pastors or as Christians should. Contrast that to this beautiful Paul says in 2 Corinthians. 
And it goes beyond just the example of his life to what rubbed off on the church of Corinth. Listen to this. He says, to the church in Corinth, he said, you yourselves are a letter written on our hearts. Isn't that beautiful? You yourselves are a letter written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on a tablet of stone, but tablets, tablets of the human heart. What a cool description that his living and their living together became these indelible written tablets, right? You couldn't race away. You couldn't even maybe articulate it clearly other than saying, look at it. Look at the relationship they have, how Paul's ministry impacted these people, and now they're this living letter. So what's Paul's secret? What's Paul's secret of that kind of life? And the big idea we're going to learn in Philippians today is this, that Paul's living, and not just his living, but Paul's dying, was all about exalting Jesus. It's all about it. That might sound simple, but I want to unpack it because we probably could easily say that too. It's all about Jesus, right? A, man, my life is about exalting Jesus, but is that really what comes out from us? Is that what people glean or pick up if they're just around us? It's all about Jesus. So if you want your life to be all about Jesus, follow me in reading Philippians 1. 18 to 26, we're just going to read, start the second half of verse 18, where it says, yes. This is what Paul writes, yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly and expect and hope I will in no way be ashamed, but have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body. Whether by life or by death, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I'm to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I am torn between the two desires, to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far, but it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again and your boasting in Christ, Jesus will abound on account of me. Now, <clears throat> I want to remind you of the relationship Paul has with these people before we dive in, before we get to this proclamation, yes! That's such a great start to a passage. Yes! Uh, Paul's relationship with these people is complex. It is beautiful. But the first time we see Paul coming to Philip, I remember he had this dream, someone calling him, come over here. And he came over and it was not easy. Right? His converts or the people who were saved through Paul's ministry was first a woman who was outside the city gates. So somebody who uh, looked like was kind of wealthy, but maybe didn't have quite a place in society yet. A young slave girl. And then the Philippian jailer when he was in jail in Philippi. And yes, there is a theme here. Paul is in jail a lot. <laughs> this is kind of Paul's relationship with the Philippian people. These people that were all on the outskirts or oppressed in some way were the start of the Philippian church. And then he's writing to the Philippian people. And what Jake preached on last time we were, we were here was he was telling them, you know, 
in this young church, there's some people that are preaching Christ because they just love Jesus and other people who are preaching Christ because they want to make much of themselves. And he goes, either way, all I'm passionate about is that Jesus is being preached. Now, it seems like the letter could end there because you're like, okay, like some people do it well, some people do it poorly. Let's go Jesus, like team Jesus, right? But then he goes on, he says this, he says, yes, and I rejoice. And he goes on to explain what that looks like for him to rejoice. And he uses an interesting word there. He says, I pray that I will have sufficient courage. I pray that I will have sufficient courage to exalt Christ, whether in my living or in my dying. And I, I love the word here, the, the idea of sufficient courage can be translated free and fearless. I pray that my life, even in prison, will be free and fearless. Or it also could be cheerful courage. <laughs> I pray that I can be cheerfully courageous because it looks pretty bleak for him, right? He's sitting in prison. And so he's saying, by your prayers and the provision of the Spirit, I pray that my life, I hope my life will be free and fearless. I hope it will be full of cheerful courage to exalt Christ, that Christ would be made much of in my life, whether I live or I die. He's reduced his whole future to these two options, living or dying. That's what you got, right? That I would have cheerful courage or sufficient courage to whether I live or die, exalt Jesus. Now, when Paul starts writing about this, it's interesting because it's so casual. Um, he's writing to some people that love him, support him, haven't forgotten him, right? They're helping pay his bills while he's in prison. That's what the Philippian church did. And so he's writing them, and it gets kind of journal-esque, right? Like when you're like reading someone's diary, and you're like, I probably shouldn't be doing this, right? Like that's kind of the feel of the letter of Philippians because he asks a question which says, what shall I choose? Like, if I had the choice of life or death, what would I choose? It's like really interesting. Oftentimes, Paul is like hard charging, deep theological truths that you're like trying to unpack. But here he asks a question and follows it by, I actually don't know. Like, this is not characteristic of Paul. What would I choose if I had the option? I don't know. Does that sound like Paul to you? No, it's deeply intimate. I don't know whether I would choose life or death because both I see could have the same outcome. That's what he's saying. He's saying here this, if the decision between life or death were mine, I don't know what I'd choose because either way, there is one thing that is not up for grabs. Either way, Christ must be exalted in my life. That is the one way, right? Two options, one way. And that is that Jesus would be exalted in my life. So he has these two opportunities, life and death. And I want to unpack those because he does. He says, this is what life would look like. This is what dying would look like. What life would look like to Paul is this. He defines it simply this way. To live is Christ. <laughs> yeah, that's it. To live is Christ. Life is an opportunity to exalt Jesus, not to exalt yourself. It is simply what Paul's saying. The entirety of life, defined by Paul, is an opportunity to exalt Jesus, not exalt ourselves. This is extremely, it was and is, countercultural 
and therefore counterintuitive to us. That means when you go down the path of exalting Jesus above all things, you will start feeling some tug back from yourself because it's so countercultural. It is counterintuitive to now put anything else, someone else, something else above ourselves. But that is exactly what it means to exalt Jesus. That he would be above us, that he'd be seen greater than us, that we would come under his authority. That's what it means to exalt Christ. Now, an American scholar named Robert Bellow, he, um, he describes, the, describes the modern American perspective, which is different than Paul's perspective. And he describes it this way, expressive individualism. That is the prevailing way of thinking or feeling. And that's not just out there. You will find this in your own souls. right? You will find this in your own inclination. Expressive individualism, which is this. Expressive individualism, whole, it's hard to say, individualism. You really got to let that just draw out. Expressive individualism holds that each person has a unique core of feelings and intuition that should be expressed if individuality is to be realized. Put simply, it's this. I can only be authentic if I outwardly act according to how I inwardly feel. That is, that is just the water we swim in. That is the way you, one way or another, probably tend to think reactively, and that is the way our culture thinks. I can only be authentic if I outwardly act according to how I inwardly feel. Now, we can't just throw that away and say all expressive individualism, individualism is bad. Because sometimes we can have righteous feelings and act on those righteous feelings, and it's good. But that is not ultimately an expression of our individual selves. It's an expression of who God is and how he made us to be. Expressive individualism at its core is an untrustworthy way of living. This idea of be true to yourself above all things will not lead to happiness and will not lead to a God-exalting life. That's what Paul is saying here when he says, in prison, regardless of my circumstances, in life or by death, there's one thing I do, and that is exalt Jesus. Let me um, kind of give a point-counterpoint, show you the, the difference between what we're going to call Cheerful courage, which is what Paul's praying for, and expressive individualism here. Expressive individualism, the question would be, what do I want? A lot of us wake up with that thought, right? What do I want? What, this, what is this day going to be about? I get to create my own journey. The cheerful courage Paul's praying for in prison is that he would ask, what does God want? It's a very different way of even just thinking of waking up in the day, and if you go... I'm, I'm exalted above all things that could possibly happen, and I'm going to go actualize that. Or, God is sovereign Lord of all things. What does it look like for me to do today what he wants? Two very different ways of living. What am I feeling? And we do this. We constantly consult our feelings. How do I feel right now? And I'm going to, I'm going to am I grumpy pants? Well, it's not feeling like grumpy pants, Right? It's, uh, what do I feel? And, and to be authentic, I have to portray that feeling, right? Very unstable way of living. Cheerful courage is, am I obeying God's word? You might feel like grumpy pants, 
<laughs> but I want to practice loving kindness to other people, right? What will show others that I am great? This is expressive individualism. I am the king of my destiny. What will show other people that, that I am awesome, right? And, and this is also a very unstable way to live because what if people don't see me as awesome? Right? Man, then I'm crushed. Well, cheerful courage is what will show other people that God's great, right? Because, man, I know I was created in his image. I'm just meant to, like, mirror him. I want people to see him, right? If people think, like, I'm stupid, well, I don't, well, I'm not trying to show off. What will benefit me versus how can my life be of use to the kingdom of God? It's different context, right? Rather than everything being about what I can build, it's I'm actually part of something. I'm a part of God's kingdom. I want to be a part of it. I want to build his kingdom. I want to see it come on earth. His kingdom of peace. That's, I want to be that peacemaker in this world. And we can't be if we are always asking what will benefit me first. Probably should just close in prayer here, huh? This is, this is what Paul is praying for when he says, may I have cheerful courage here in these circumstances to live in this way. And there are incredible examples. There are so many examples of those who have chose to live with cheerful courage. I will share two. And one, um, in this, week, this weekly reading in my Bible, I was, I was looking at John the Baptist. John chapter 3. John has this incredible ministry People are listening to, people are coming from all over. They're leaving town because he got kicked out of town, right? He's going out to the river. People are following him. More and more people are coming and following John. And then Jesus shows up. And what happens? People are leaving John to go to Jesus. And John's disciples say this in John 3. John 3, chapter 26, everyone is going to Jesus. Now, if it was about John, if it was about his greatness, what he wanted, man, that could be devastating. What's John's reaction, though? Well, in John 3, verse 30, he says of Jesus, he must be greater, I must become less. That's the life of cheerful courage. This is what I was about the whole time. It wasn't about me all along. It was about Jesus all along. So may he become greater and may I become less. That's cheerful courage. Um, one of my heroes, heroes of the faith, Eric Liddell. Um, many of you would know him from the movie Chariots of Fire. He ran in the 1924 Olympics, got the world record in the 40-meter dash. I think it was probably the 440 at the time. World record, it wasn't his race. He refused to run on a Sunday so he could honor, <clears throat> honor Jesus. Got the world record. What, I'm not going to say most. What everyone would do is ride that, right? Gear up for the next Olympics. Gear up for the Olympics after that. Greatness to greatness. Well, what Eric Liddell was different. He went home, graduated college, and then left to China and ended up dying in a prison camp in China. What a powerful life, because it wasn't about him, right? It wasn't about making himself great. Eric Liddell wrote this. He said, every Christian should live a God-guided life. If you are not guided by God, you'll be guided by someone or something else. The Christian who hasn't the sense of guidance in his life is missing something vital. 
you will know only as much of God as you are willing to put into practice. Are you living a God-guided life? That is what it means to exalt Jesus. Dying. How did Paul define dying? It's kind of surprising. He actually defined it in the same way. Jesus, right? Living is Jesus. Dying is Jesus. To to die, he said, is gain because I get to go and be with Jesus. What he means by this is simply this. Death will reveal if you've exalted Jesus or exalted yourself. This is the ultimate revealer. If you in your life have exalted yourself or exalted Jesus. Now Paul's perspective here, death being gain, is not an easy perspective. Last week, and I won't call anyone out on this, last week at community group, this last Wednesday, um, we had a really great conversation about this. And the consensus was that we didn't feel like death was gain. (laughs) We have new babies, new relationships, and the glimmer of hope that family members are returning to Jesus. Death didn't feel like gain. And what Paul would say to that, what Jesus would say to that, is that's okay. Because it's good to be honest, and the honesty here is this is where we see Jesus at work, and we're celebrating this. It would be weird if on your wedding day you looked at your bride, you looked at the person you were marrying, and you said, well, this is good, but I really wish I was in heaven right now. Or, when you had a baby born, you said, this is great, but I would way rather be in heaven right now. That would be weird. That would not only dishonor your spouse and dishonor your child, but it would dishonor God. It would dishonor God because of the good gift he's just given you. Right? To honor him is to live in that gift, love that gift, celebrate that gift. It's good, it's righteous, it's holy, it's true, it's one of the... The things that we actually get before the fall. Marriage, it's good. So, our question isn't, well, how hard can my life be? How much can I deny all these things so I can exalt Jesus? The question is, and we're actually given this in a prayer, may your kingdom come where? On earth, as it is in heaven. We're actually not given a prayer, take me to heaven. Isn't that interesting? No, may your kingdom come here. Jesus actually says, the kingdom of heaven is in your midst. So what are you saying? It's, it's good to enjoy Jesus here and now. Paul, while it's good to be honest about those things, Paul is also being honest about his situation, right? Paul isn't spiritualizing his situation. Oh, prison is so wonderful in Jesus. no. He is longing for heaven. Being with Christ would by far be better than sitting in a prison cell. Paul is suffering and he is ready to be home. That's what's happening in this. Now, we got front row seats to this wrestling and this longing. The wrestling between two worlds and two opportunities with the passing of my dad. 
During his battle with cancer, I remember my dad saying, I feel like there's so much more to do. I saw him wrestling with what appeared to be a sentence of death, but desiring to continue living, to love his family, and care for the work God had given him to do at the Coffee Oasis. I feel like there's so much more to do. I'm going to be honest with you, at times, because I knew that sentence of death, cancer, the weakening of his body, and all these stories you hear of people just going, oh, I want, you know, I want to be with Jesus. I wrestled with it. I thought it maybe was more spiritual or would have been more spiritual if he were to say, I'm ready to go home and be with Jesus. And instead, he would say, I feel like there's so much more to be done. That was a good and holy desire to love his family, to stay and do more work, do God's work here. It's a good and healthy desire. The desire was right both ways, the desire to stay in love, the desire to go and be with Jesus. And he is now with Jesus. Both ways, this is important, both ways is exalting Jesus. Whether God gives you 20 more years on earth, Jesus be exalted. Whether he takes you today, when you're driving home, Jesus be exalted. We don't spiritualize one over the other. We are so much in the habit of doing that. I'll take the harder route. No. <laughs> take the route God's gifting you. If it's marriage, great. If it's kids, great. If it's something else, great. Christ be exalted. That's what he's saying here. For me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Both are Jesus oriented. Are we glorifying God with our yes right now? Is Christ exalted? And either way, he can be. Wherever you are in life, he can be. You can have joy in the middle of what you're in because Jesus can be found right where you are right now. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, by your spirit, please help us understand this truth, this perspective, this way of living centered on Jesus that then gives life to the rest of our life, gives life even to our death. I pray that we won't get caught in the trap of what we call expressive individualism, this constant consulting of what's going on in me rather than seeing who you are. <laughs> um, the invitation to come and be yours. God, I think that, um, that maybe even some here just are waiting for that invitation to feel really, the, hear really the call. Come and be mine. Come and be with me. I know whenever we're here, whenever we open your word, that is your invitation. Come to me. So I pray we will. We will have sufficient courage, cheerful courage to live lives that exalt you. Praise in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're going to worship in three ways now. If you'd like to sing with us, um, if you would like prayer, Ibrahim uh, is right over there in the corner. Love to pray for you. 
And then we will take communion, remembering Jesus on the night he was betrayed, shared a meal with his disciples. And in that meal, he expressed, he said what would happen. This bread is my body broken for you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Whenever you do this, do this in remembrance of me. And so if you remember Jesus today, if you put your faith in Jesus today, we invite you to come up and take communion with us.